Well, I was really glad that Lance, Lance and I did not coordinate in terms of the message or the songs, but I was really glad we sang that last song because Christ really is the cornerstone. Everything we're doing here today is about Him. He's the center. He's the focus. Without Jesus, there is no Christian faith. Christian faith. Christ. Christian faith. Without Jesus, there's no Christmas. A lot of people in our culture today want to put pressure on people to say, don't say Merry Christmas. And the reason for that is because the word Christ is in the word Christmas. But without Christ, there is no Christmas. Now, there could be a holiday. Okay, we can still give gifts. We could totally secularize it. Many people do. But the reality is, without Christ, there's no Christmas. Without Christ, there's no New Testament. Without Christ, the Old Testament would be invalidated. Because so much about in the Old Testament is about the coming of Christ. The verse that we just saw up on the screen, one of the verses was Acts 4, verse 12. And in Acts 4, verse 12, it says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven. Now, I don't know how many names there are and have been since the beginning of creation. There was Adam, Eve, and then there's a whole bunch of people after that. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Without Christ, there's no salvation. There's no forgiveness of sin. The Old Testament is invalid because the Old Testament points to Christ. When Christ was on the earth after His resurrection, He reminded His disciples, and in the end of the Gospels He did, and then after the resurrection, He said that all of the law and the prophets pointed to Him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. If there's no Christ, and Christ did not die on the cross and raise from the dead, we are still in our sins. We're still under the judgment of God because we've sinned, and God is just and righteous and holy, and therefore we have to be judged for our sin. And then Paul goes on to say in the next verse in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Uh, my mother's in the nursing home, and uh, she's 87 years old, and she's always, like so many of the rest of us, always feared that in the end she might get dementia or something like that, because a lot of people have those issues. But she's, she's just as clear-headed and, and alert and cognizant of what she's going through and everything. She was 25 years ago. I can't tell any difference. But she's, she's, her health is going down, and she feels like the time of her departure from this earth is, is soon. And so she's been, we've been having these serious conversations about death and what death is like and what's it going to be like. And she said, I'm really afraid when it, you know, right when the moment happens, what's gonna, what is that going to be like? And that kind of thing. So we've been having those conversations well, Paul says here that if Christ is not raised, then those who have fallen asleep, and my mother, you know, if nature takes this course, 
judging on how her health is going down, very soon she's going to fall asleep. Euphemism for death. She can fall asleep. Well, if there's no Christ, she will have perished. Perished. She's gone. Jesus is the focus. Jesus is the center of everything. And so, um, as I mentioned earlier in the, in, the, in the service, you know, every day for a Christian is Christmas. Because the Bible says that um, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we celebrate the incarnation during Christmas, but the incarnation has changed everything. So Christmas is every day. And the resurrection, the, the death on the cross and the resurrection is every day. So every day is Easter. We celebrate those at different times in the church. You know, in, in the spring, Easter, and in December, Christmas. But really every day is about Jesus. And, and I've chosen a text here today that's, that's, um, <clears throat> that I think is, is probably the best text in the Bible to give us the most comprehensive view of who Jesus is. And Beverly read it for us a few moments ago, so I'm not going to read the whole text again. But what we're going to do, we're going to just go down through the text, and we're going to ask ourselves the question is, uh, who is Jesus? And what does God's Word say about who Jesus is? Okay, Because as we think about Christmas, and we've been thinking about that the last month, or, or maybe before, and as we think about the new year, we need, to, we need to once again focus on Jesus and see who Jesus is. And so it's, it doesn't, my opinion doesn't matter. Okay, let's go back to God's Word and let's look and see what God's Word says. And this passage is, I believe, the most comprehensive, uh, jam-packed, short passage about who Jesus is in the fullness, in His fullness. And if you think about it, this passage right here, it tells us who God is. Okay, one of the big questions of philosophy down through the centuries has been, is there a God, and if there is a God, can He be known? Who is He? Well, the Bible clearly states that God is a personal God, and God can be known, and God is revealed most clearly and most fully in the person of Jesus Christ. So this passage tells us uh, who God is. It tells us how we can know God. It tells us what our purpose is. It tells us uh, who, I, who I need to follow. I mean, everybody's trying to figure out, you know, which way to go. You've got to follow somebody, even if that's yourself, and your own thinking. We've got, to, we've got to figure out the direction in life. Well, what do I trust? Who, who do I follow? And where can I find wisdom and guidance? To whom should I give allegiance to? You know, where should my devotion be? What about worship? Now, we, worship is not just what we do in a service like this, but this is worship. We call this a worship service. And we have been worshiping Jesus today, worshiping God as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But we've been worshiping Jesus today. We sang the song Cornerstone, that Christ is a cornerstone. What that means is He's the cornerstone of the building that God is building. Again, he's the central focus. He's the key person. And so when we talk about worship or devotion, ascribing worth to something or someone, to whom should I give that worship? Well, I believe the Bible tells us that Jesus is worthy of that kind of devotion. 
how can I have security? How can I have stability? Uh, we live in a scary world today. And, uh, and so we're wa- wondering about how we, can, how we can be stable. What about the markets going up and down like they've been going up and down? What about all the wars and all the conflicts with the other nations and the building up of militaries beyond our United States military? What about all that? How do we keep from being afraid and how can we know that we're secure? Well, this passage answers that. So this passage answers a lot of questions about our everyday life and they're all the answers to those questions are found in the person of Jesus. Now that seems very simplistic and very childlike. Well, to be a Christian means that you have to have childlike faith. It's not complicated. It's not, it's not like rocket science. It's, it's very simple. All of life is discovered. All the purpose of life, the meaning of life, uh, how I should live, all of that is contained from what the Scripture would say in the person of Jesus Christ. Who He was, what He did. We call that, in theology, we call that the person of Christ and the work of Christ. The Old Testament pointed to that throughout the Old Testament. The Gospels are that in living color, Jesus incarnate, walking among people of that time, dying on a cross, being raised from the dead, establishing His church, and then communicating who He is and what His purpose is in the rest of the New Testament. So we're going to look at this text right here, and we're going to stick really close to the text. So I like to, you know, I, I mean, preachers, preachers can preach. Preachers can talk. And I like to talk like every, anybody else. But I also like to stick really close to the text because I want to make sure that what I'm telling you is just not what I think. Okay? It may not, it's not just some, you know, some good idea or something like that that a preacher would have. But it's what God says in His Word about a particular subject. And today, again, we're focused on Jesus. And Beverly read the text for us. But let's look at verse 15, Colossians chapter 1. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles or open your phone or open your tablet or whatever you have and look at the Scripture. It says in the book of Acts that the Berean Christians searched the Scriptures daily to see if what they were being told was the truth. And and Luke says that they were noble-minded. They were noble-minded because they listened to the early preachers of the gospel preach the message, but then they read for themselves to make sure that what they were being told was indeed in God's Word. And so this text says a lot about Jesus, and we're just going to kind of go through it verse by verse, and then we're going to talk about what that means, and then we're going to talk about what is the implication for us in our everyday life. The first thing that we are told in verse 15 is that He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image. And that word image means likeness or copy or stamp or print. Um, We get our English word icon from that, which is like a statue. If you go to um, various football stadiums around the country, you'll see statues of famous football players or famous coaches. Like you go to the University of Alabama, you'll see a statue of Bear Bryant. And it looks like Bear Bryant. Why? Because when you look at that statue, you want to think about Bear Bryant, and then it's got something about him and what he did in, in, in the football world and that kind of thing. So uh, the, the English word icon is a word that we get from here. That Paul says here that, that Jesus, 
is the image of the invisible God. And what does he mean by that? He means that Jesus is the exact likeness of God. I like the Phillips translation here. It says, the visible expression of the invisible God. Now, all of us are trying to figure out <clears throat> who God is. Like I said, we have a discipline um, called philosophy, and the whole question in philosophy is, is there a God? What is meaning? What is purpose? Those kinds of things. And so we've, through the centuries, people have discovered, uh, discussed that and debated that and everything. That is a discipline of philosophy. So a lot of people, not just Christians, throughout the centuries have asked the question, is there a God? Is this God personal? Can he be known? Those kinds of questions. Well, the Bible says that Jesus is the, in, is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact likeness of God. Again, the Phillips translation, the visible expression of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, He is the radiance. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His nature. John's Gospel says, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, Jesus was the only begotten Son of God, who is in the bosom of the Father, the place of intimacy with the Father, He has explained Him. So here's a question. If I'm trying to figure out who God is, all I've got to do is look to Jesus. Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. Now, the Scripture says in the Old Testament, no one has ever seen God. God is spirit. And yet, when Jesus came into the world and was incarnated... He became the visible expression of the invisible God. John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. When you look at Jesus, you are looking at God. We never have to wonder who God is or what He's like. We just look to Jesus. Now, I don't want to take the time to read this, but... Go back and read John chapter 14, where Jesus is teaching his disciples that he's about to leave. Of course, they don't understand all of this yet, but he says to them he's about to leave, and, and, and they're asking him some questions, and then he says to his disciples, he who has seen me has seen the Father, because the disciples said, show us God, and it'll be enough. In other words, show us God, we want to see God, and Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and, have, and, and, and you have seen him. What, what is he saying there? Is that when the disciples encountered Jesus, they also encountered God. Now, this is, this is the basis of why I follow Jesus. So people have asked me through the years, okay, when did you become a Christian? When, well, a Christian is, is what we could call a follower of Christ. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Now, why do I follow Christ? Why did I make a decision to believe in Jesus and then to follow Him? Especially when there are so many voices in the world that I could follow. Well, because Jesus is God in the flesh. Uh, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, that Jesus became for us or to us the wisdom of God. I follow Jesus. Why do I follow Jesus? Because He is the visible expression of the invisible God. 
He's the best, most complete knowledge of God that will ever be given on this side of heaven. Now, my mother, again, has been asking lots of questions. What's death going to be like and everything? And she told me the other day, she said, I'm really getting weary. And if I knew, she said to me she, this week, she said, or last week, she said, if I knew for certain that it was going to be as glorious as everybody says it is, I'd be ready to go right now. And I said, Mother, we don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but we know it's going to be glorious. When you die and you go to heaven, if you've believed in Jesus and you go to heaven, you're going to have the fullest revelation you've ever had. First uh, Corinthians chapter 13 talks about that and says that now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. But the fullest expression and revelation of God that has been given in the world for now is the person of Jesus Christ. And Hebrews chapter 1 again says that God has spoken to us in many different ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. God has revealed Himself once and for all through the person of Jesus. So I don't ever have to wonder who God is or what God is like. I just look at Jesus. I read the New Testament and I see who Jesus is. Who He is, His person. I see what He did. I see what He calls me to do. And I see this is what it means to follow God. This is the, this is the path of discipleship because of who He is. So Paul says He is the image of the invisible God. The second thing he says, He's the firstborn of all creation. And that doesn't mean that He was created. Now, Jesus was born as a baby, and the baby that he was did not exist prior to the birth and the natural process of birth. But Jesus, the one who came as a baby, existed before the birth. Jesus has always existed. But he was born, he came into the world as a baby and lived as a human being. And so Paul says here, he's the firstborn of all creation. In ancient custom, the firstborn was given the rights and privileges of, of, above every other offspring. So what this means in, in uh, Colossians 1.15 is that he is over creation in rank and dignity. He is preeminent. He's the most important person who's ever lived. There's no comparison. He is preeminent. He is firstborn. He is more important than all of creation. Now, how do I know that? Or why is that the case? Look at verse 16. Colossians chapter 1. For by Him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Why is He preeminent? He is preeminent... Because all things were created by Him. John affirms that in John's Gospel, John chapter 1, verse 3. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Hebrews 1, 3, again. God appointed Jesus heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. Now He, he talks here, Paul talks about heaven and earth, that's the heavenly sphere, the sphere of the earth, visible and invisible, the material world, the physical world, the non-material world, the spiritual world, 
thrones, dominions, that's every area of power, rulers and authorities, that's everybody who has power, angelic powers, human powers, demons' powers. All things came into existence through Jesus. All things have been created through Him and for Him. Now, what does this answer? This tells me that He is my origin. Where did I come from? I came from Jesus Christ. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Do you not know that you are not your own? That you have been bought with a price? You now, most of us, we don't think about it too much, but we think, you know, this is my life. No, it's not your life. Now, you have been given the gift of life, and you have some management over that life, but in reality, you belong to God. He's your creator. And specifically, Jesus was the agent of God's creation. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He's not only your origin, He is your purpose. We find our purpose in Him, and life doesn't make sense without Him. Okay, um, if there were no Christ, we wouldn't be here today. There'd be no worship service. Why do we worship? Why do we sing these songs? We're not singing really to each other. Now, I think Lance mentioned a few months ago that we encourage each other when we sing and everything. And that is a part of worship to all be singing the same thing um, so that we affirm each other, that kind of thing. But guess what? We're not really singing to each other. We're singing to God and to Christ. Why? Because Christ is worthy of worship. Do you know anybody else? Do you know anything that's really worthy of worship? No. All things have been created through Him and for Him. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. For us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things. And we exist for Him. What is your purpose? To exist for God. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things. And we exist through Him. Guess what? You exist today through the power and the person of Jesus Christ. He's my origin. He's my purpose. See, I'm not my own. I don't belong to myself. I, I, can, I can have that attitude I can live like that perception is reality, but it's not reality. In the end, what you will find out, in the end, what you will find out, what I will find out, is that all along I belonged to Jesus Christ. That's why rebellion is, is irrational. That's why pride and arrogance makes no sense. That's why humility is the only natural response and the only wise response because God made me for Himself. And my purpose in life is to glorify Him. All things have been created through Him and for Him. Now look at verse 17. He is before all things. Now what that means is, I think it's a reference to He is before all things in time. I like, again, the Phillips translation. He is the first principle. He is eternal. 
There was never a time where Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, did not exist. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the incarnation, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is before all things. I I love this next part of this, verse 17. In Him all things hold together. Uh, That word there, um, hold together, means to place together, to cohere, to hold together. Uh, One commentator says, He is the principle of cohesion in the universe. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, He upholds all things by the word of His power. Now let me ask you a question. I'm sure that uh, Christmas is a time of great stress. And as you think about 2019, maybe you're thinking about things that stress you out, money or relationship issues or things like that. I want to tell you today that Jesus is the source of stability and sanity. If He can hold the universe together, what about your problems? Piece of cake. What does that mean? That means that I should run to Him. That means that I should embrace Him. That means that that He should be, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, precious to me. Why? Because He is the source of my stability. And He's the source of sanity. In Him all things hold together. Even my life. Verse 18. He is also head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. He is the head of the body, the church. Now here's what the church is. The church, the word means... um, (coughs) Um, the called out ones. Okay? So when the gospel of Christ is preached around the world, the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of individuals from every race and every tongue and every tribe. In Revelation chapter 7, it says that in the end of time, around the throne of God, and Jesus will be there, that there will be representation from every tongue and every tribe. And all of those individuals from the beginning of the New Testament, the time of the Gospels, and when Jesus died on the cross, and then He was buried, then He was resurrected, and then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Um, And Ephesians 1, 5, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. That God is all around the world today, even today here in Norfolk, Chesapeake, Hampton Roads, He is calling people to Himself. He is opening eyes. He is regenerating dead spirits. And He's quickening people and making them alive together with Christ and bringing them into His worldwide church. All the Christians of all the times, of all the places. And He's not only the head of creation, He is also the head of the body, the church. And what does that mean? Well, we're, by the way, we are our church very soon. We will be celebrating our um, first anniversary coming up, um, first part of the new year. And as we look to a second year, okay, the Lord's really blessed us and 
We're one church in two locations, and we just launched our Volvo location. And uh, so, so when we talk about Jesus being the head of the body of the church, what does that mean? It means that He is our leader. It's not me. It's not Pastor Eric, our senior pastor. It's, it's not any other staff people. Who is our leader? It's Jesus. We've got to look to Jesus to be our leader. We've got to go to Him for guidance and source and our source of wisdom and strength for His church because guess what? We can't build a church. Only Jesus can build His church. And what did Jesus say to His disciples? Upon this rock I will build my church. The rock of the confession that He is the Christ. So see, hey, what we're doing here is supernatural. It's not natural. It's supernatural. And Jesus is the head of the body. Aren't you glad that Jesus is the head of the body? And not some other smart people? Because all smart people are really dumb. We, we don't know what we're doing. We need a leader that we can trust. We need a God. We need a reliable source of wisdom. Guess what? It's Jesus in the church, and in your personal life, in your family. You need Jesus. That's why we have to run to Jesus. Run to Christ. Run to Christ in your family. Run to Christ in your own personal life. In the church, run to Christ. We need to be praying. We need to be trusting in Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. And I'll tell you what, when we cry out to Him and when we really in humility come to Him and ask Him to do what only He can do, guess what? Miracles happen. We have to be willing to admit our need for His guidance and His place in our life. Then Paul says, He is the beginning. He's the origin in terms of time and power. He's the originating power. Revelation chapter 1 verse 17 says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Jesus says, I'm the first and I'm the last. He's, uh, Paul says here, he's the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? He was the first person to rise from the dead, never to die again. Again, I like Philip's translation here. Life from the dead began through him. Probably everybody in this room has had someone in your life that you've lost that's been... A precious person. I was just reading on Facebook this week. Uh, I didn't know, know this particular uh, young man, but a 30-year-old pastor down in Alabama and probably had six little kids. <clears throat> Wonderful young man. Seemed real healthy and everything. This week, he friend at the church said he was feeling bad and suddenly went unconscious and they rushed him to the hospital. He died on the way. Cardiac arrest. 30-something years old. That's going to be tough for his wife and six kids. But I'll tell you what, it would even be tougher. It would even be tougher if you knew you would never see him again. Now, I preached my dad's funeral, and I'll preach my mother's funeral. My mother said to me, well, Do you think you can do it? And I said, Well, who else should do it? Who else knows you like I do? And I'm going to tell it all good, bad, ugly. And I'm gearing myself up for that, but guess what? The reason I can take that whenever that happens, by the grace of God, is because I know that will not be the last time I see her. I will see her again. 
And that is true if you're in this room today and you've lost a loved one, you will see your loved one again. If that person has believed in Jesus and accepted Christ as their personal Savior. And then I like what it says at the end of verse 18. He's the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. I like what the NIV says here. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. See, that's why in the church, we've got to make sure that we do not elevate anybody in the church, pastors, leaders, cliques, we don't elevate anybody in the church. Why? Because Jesus is supreme. And He should get the supremacy. And I'll tell you what, whenever a church makes Jesus supreme, that is a church that God can bless. Because even Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes... He will not speak on His own initiative, but He will glorify me. That's what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit's purpose is to glorify Christ. See, Christ, Paul says, has come to have first place in everything. Let me, let me ask you a question here. Does Christ have first place in your life? Or is He second? Or third? And by the way, second is not acceptable. Does Christ have first place in your marriage? If He doesn't, I can tell you right now, you've got problems. If you're here today, have you received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? I'll tell you what, if I were here today and I had not accepted Christ, I would be afraid to go get in my car and leave. I would. Can't imagine dying without Christ. Cannot imagine that. He has first place in everything. I like what it says in Philippians chapter 2 that God has given him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. And then look at verse 19. Verse 19 is truly one of, the, one of the amazing verses in the New Testament. Nobody really understands the gravity of this. But in verse 19 it says, It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. That is, the Father thought it was very good for the fullness of God, the full nature of God, the sum total of divine powers and attributes to dwell in Jesus' earthly body. Now think about this for just a moment. Jesus was fully God and Jesus was fully man. The deity part of Jesus did not alter his humanity and the humanity part of Jesus did not diminish his deity. All of God was in Jesus as much as, as in God the Father and God the Spirit. This was the Father's good pleasure. So again, what does that mean in terms of what does that mean in terms of how we should honor Jesus? How we should worship Jesus, how we should follow Jesus as our king and our leader and our God and our savior. And then it says in verse 20, and through him, this is through Jesus, to reconcile all things <clears throat> to himself, 
having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Now think about this right here. Think about all the conflict in the world today. And think about the Middle East. I mean, just humanly speaking, problems in the Middle East can't be solved. Guess what is happening in the world today? That through time, because of Jesus' death on the cross, God is going to reconcile all things to himself. Through the death of Christ on the cross. God is going to make peace in the end in every situation. And it all goes back to Jesus and his willingness to come to this earth, to live as a man, to die on the cross, and to pay for my sins and your sins and all the sins of humanity. And then he speaks to those of us who have accepted Christ. He says, and although you were formerly alienated, that means we were separated, hostile in mind, that means that our mind, our attitude was rebellious toward God. Romans 8, 7, the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so. Not only a bad attitude and a rebellious spirit, but also engaged in evil deeds. Jesus said men love darkness because of the light, rather than the light because their deeds are evil. But what did God do? Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death. And look at the last part of verse 22. In order to present you before Him holy. You know what that means? Separated for Himself. He has separated you as a believer to Himself and set you apart as belonging to Him. He's made you blameless. That means without, blot, without blemish or without spot. Beyond reproach. Free from any charge. Now let me ask you a question as we wrap up here today. In light of who Jesus is, how should you respond? Seriously. In light of who Jesus is, how should you respond? Many years ago, I was raised in the church, thought I was a Christian, did all the things I was told to do, went to Bible school, went to Sunday school, intellectually believed, because I was told later, years later I kind of went through a crisis and I had to make sure that my faith was really my faith and not the faith of someone else. And so I went through a journey, and at the end of that journey, that was actually when I was in seminary, at the end of that journey, I decided, hey, yes, I am a believer. I believe this for me, not because other people told me this. But when I was in high school, when I was 17 years old, didn't want to go, but you know, a little parental pressure. Me and my girlfriend go to church, and there's an evangelist preaching, and he preaches the gospel. And I'll tell you what, it was like the first time I ever heard it, I was captivated. And for the first time in my life, and I think the Holy Spirit opened my eyes and the Holy Spirit made this possible for the first time in my life, I understood. And I'll tell you what, I could not wait until we started singing at the end of the service. And I literally, I didn't run, but I, I hurried down the aisle. And I took, took the pastor's hand, the evangelist, he was an awesome preacher. I took his hand and I said, hey, I want to receive Christ as my Savior. 
And right there in front of the church, I bowed my knee, I bowed my head, I humbled my pride, and I did what the Bible says, I called upon the name of the Lord. And I said, Jesus, save me. And guess what? He saved me. Because the scripture says, all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If we believe in our heart, if we believe in our heart that God raised him to the dead and we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Some of you here today have never believed in Jesus. Hey, what a great day to do it. The last Sunday in 2018. And start 2019 as a brand new creature. If any man or any woman is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. But probably most of you sitting here today, you've already accepted Christ. But again, I want to ask you this question. Does Christ have preeminence in your life and in your family? And if he doesn't, let me tell you what that's called. Rebellion. It's called rebellion. It's called sin. And sin and rebellion brings death. As a preacher of the gospel, I encourage you, I implore you, run to Jesus. And like it says in the text we read today, He's already made you spotless. He's already said you're above reproach, beyond reproach. But then you walk in that freedom. Father, I pray today that as we contemplate Jesus, as we look at Him, as we think about Him, His majesty, His glory, His beauty, His sovereignty, His power, His knowledge, all the things about Jesus that you have revealed in your word, Father, as we look upon Him, I pray, Lord, that our wills would be bended and we would repent and we would display humility. And whatever we need to do to get whatever we need to get right, right, we would do it. Right now. Here in this place, in this moment, Holy Spirit, have your way in this service today for the glory of Christ and the good of all concerned. We pray in His name and for His sake.